Hi, everybody. Happy summer to you. It is, as we record this, a Tuesday morning that's kind of gray, but sun is sure to follow. The Orange County Fair opens this weekend, and I will say, as a Midwesterner, I am a fair person. I go to the fair, <laughs> oh. I pet the animals, and I watch the people from the Inland Empire and come and visit. you've eaten a few funnel cakes in your life, it That looks is like. false. Oh, That is okay. false. I go right. to the ice cream sundae booth. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. We have a question that came in, and, and as you know, we want to be, uh, we want to use this time to take kind of what ha- what is happening in culture through through media, and uh, what is revealed about God um, in the scriptures, and we want to combine the two. But we also want to take time every now and again, just to wrestle with questions that come in. And this this uh, young lady asks a phenomenal question. It's long, but it's worth going into, and then it's, it'll provoke KB to all sorts of very profound thoughts that will absolutely change your life. <laughs> and if they don't, it's really on him. Now, uh, God, uh, what is the appropriate response when God doesn't heal? You'd mentioned that in your last sermon. I believe he's able, I believe he's healer, but knowing that he hasn't healed me <laughs> has made tears come to my eyes. He's truly done amazing things for me over the last 30 years living with Crohn's disease. I'm very thankful. He gives me strength. My family, my pastor, medical insurance, access to doctors and nurses, medicine, but I still have daily pain and other rotten stuff. So is it inconsistent or worse ungrateful to be thankful for all that he's done and still want more and still want complete healing? Or am I just supposed to be happy with what I have? Based on your past sermons, you talk about double-fisted faith and God using our afflictions to comfort others. You talk about um, bearing the cross I've been given, being content with what I have. But I still haven't been healed, and I get discouraged that it hasn't happened yet. And then another kind of slice of this is how can I keep praying and honestly have a mustard seed of faith when it hasn't happened yet? It seems that God is saying no for some reason when I can pray, when I continue to pray for healing. And this is where it resonates. And I continue to not get healed. It feels icky inside. Abandonment, bitterness, bitterness, feeling left out, etc. What do I do to manage those feelings or put them in perspective? A lot of questions there, aren't there? So first of all, let's just start with her first question, the idea of of wanting a healing. And even though she's very aware of all that God's given, that sense of, yeah, but still, God, could you? And is that right? There's a sense of, am I even right to feel that way? Because there's this burden of gratefulness the person feels, and it's a beautiful thing, first of all. I think it's a huge Huge deal they'd even ask the question, that they'd right. feel both sides of the tension. On the one hand, I'm so right. grateful, and on the other hand, I still have this wanting. So that's what a, huge a beautiful deal. heart. So the beautiful heart, that sense of I want to be grateful. But when we're in pain, and the Bible talks a lot about how we groan against sin, and sin ultimately is our great enemy that Jesus died to destroy, and we want to be free from that. Is it right to want to be healed? Absolutely. And to be free from the effects of sin. Absolutely. Because sin is evil and sin is destructive. And there is this sense that we as people want to be free. We want everything that Jesus died on the cross to give us, which is freedom from sin, freedom um, in the sense of we have a right relationship with God and with each other. And ultimately, that we experience the healing that God brings relationally and spiritually and physically. Is it right to want it? Absolutely. Is it right to pray for it? Absolutely, because God says he's a healer. And at the same time, he does not promise to heal all the time. And that is the tension. So yes, the first we will part, all die. 
Yeah. Right? So it, right. we know there at least be one <laughs> prayer for healing he won't answer. That's right. Namely, when we die. That's right. So, so the first question is, is it right to keep praying for healing? Absolutely. Is, do we have a God who wants to heal? Yes. Then loves us? Yes. But there's always the surrender. And you talked about the double-fisted faith, that sense of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. And that's the sense of double-fisted faith. And she, you, you talk about holding on to that, but that is where we go. God, you can, but even if you don't, I will trust you. And, and that's sort of the second question, isn't it, that she's holding on to. I hurt and there's pain and God, are you listening and do you care? And there is a place when we go to God over and over again and there isn't an answer to the prayer or there isn't a deliverance or there's something that keeps weighing on us. There is this sense of God, are you listening? Are you paying attention? So the first thing I'd say to that is it's sort of a misunderstanding of grace. We forget how destructive sin is. Sin is just destructive. It hurts us. It hurts our bodies. It hurts relationships. And it is a part of this world, and it is what we're being freed from. And grace is what gives us the ability to to sustain a Christian life and to sustain hope in a difficult time. Grace isn't always delivering us from every detail or every difficulty. That's huge. That's huge. We'll come back to that. So the first thing is when we understand what grace is, it isn't a deliverance at every point. It is a promise that God will sustain us in the most challenging parts of life. And we know that sin is destructive and painful, and God will protect us, and he will provide for us. And that verse, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will sustain you in those difficult times. I will be with you. Even though there's a flood, it will not overwhelm you. Even though there's a fire, it will not consume you. These are great promises that we hold on to and say, God, Make that so in my life. And God gives us a sustaining grace, uh, a grace that maintains and is able and gives us the ability to hold on in the most challenging times. What did you want to add to? Oh, I've been interrupting so many times. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, any protest we have against evil, oppression, suffering, and injustice is part of, part of the evidence, I believe, that we are made in God's image. We know it shouldn't be this way. We just know. And any time we protest it in ourselves or out in the world, we are, we are declaring God's existence and his purposes in creation. We absolutely are. So I affirm that from that from that. I also believe um, not only are we to pray, but Jesus actually prepares his people to pray persistently mm-hmm. over and over and over. So literally the examples he uses of a friend interrupting um, uh, at midnight uh, a neighbor's household uh, for bread to feed a traveler or a, a widow that has no legal recourse other than just annoying the heck out of a judge. Like Jesus actually prepares his people to pray a long time and to not give up. And then you have this whole strain uh, in the scriptures about how God does his best work in the midst of pain. And we hate that. I hate it. I don't want him to take me to the wilderness. I don't want to undergo suffering. I don't want to have something that's debilitating or something that, 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 that is persistent and unrelenting. And yet you just see exactly what you said. God left his children uh, in Israel for 400 years before the Exodus. Why didn't he do 300? How come 250 was enough? I mean, we don't, we have no 
idea. All we have is this simple promise. Not everything is good, but everything will be used for good. And that is such a key promise. That doesn't mean that you're going to love Crohn's disease now and that you're going to say, hey, thank God for this. Now, I pray you get to that place. But there is, and this is fundamental, the enemy's greatest, most fertile ground for temptation is always pointing out what we don't have. And so in the Garden of Eden, there is a garden full of yeses. Yes, uh, be fruitful and multiply. Yes, enjoy the garden. Yes, eat. Yes, work. Yes, be intimate. Yes to all of this, but there's one no. Do not eat from the fruit of this tree. So what's the first thing the enemy does? Focuses on what we don't have. You got it. Does that still happen? All the time. Absolutely. So it's a short step from, look, you're not healed to God is not good. And that is where the enemy does some of his most uh, damaging work. And so how do you combat that? How do you combat that insidious lie? Because that, that really seems where you're living. Romans 5 talks about how through the trials of life, God gives us, uh, he develops character and he develops hope. And even in the question, what you can hear undergirding it is a powerful character that's been formed. And that's part of God's work of grace in a person's life. You can see in this person's question the, the, the sense of hope, there's a sense of maturity. gratefulness, a sense of maturity that would not happen outside of God's providing grace and sustaining grace that gave character and that character created that, that sense of perseverance and character and it produces a hope in their life that, you know, God has done. The sense, the last part was, gee, I feel abandoned, I feel left, I feel like God's not listening. Those are wonderfully human thoughts, aren't they? All of us, when we don't get something that we want or we feel yeah. alone, those are the natural very biblical feelings. thoughts. Yeah, that's right. I, I feel alone. I feel right. forgotten. I feel left. And God can handle all those emotions. We come to him and say, God, I do feel left, forgotten, abandoned. Do you care? Do you care? And talking to him through those emotions, those feelings, that's where you're going to meet God, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and there is this, you know, it sounds like you're already in community. And if you're not, I would highly, highly encourage you to be surrounded by brothers and sisters who are sympathetic, who don't offer cliches, who will sit and lament with you. Lament is a very lost art. It's what Kenton's talking about in terms of taking those feelings to God. There's also a very powerful story in uh, Prince Caspian, a, a novel by C.S. Lewis of the Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe series, where uh, a young, the, a little girl named Lucy has three older brothers and sisters, and um, they make a bad choice. Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure, had been inviting them to go down one way that looked very hard, and there was another way that looked easy. They chose uh, the other way. They have a miserable time of it. They get back up to where they began the day. Aslan appears to Lucy at night and says, why didn't you follow me? You could see me. And she said, well, the other ones didn't want to go. And he says, well, you should have followed me anyway. And so she wakes all the other ones up and she says, well, I can see Aslan. We're going this way. And the other three go, we can't see him. There's no way. And uh, she ends up just heading off and the other three are shamed into following. And then after a while, they begin to make out the faintest outlines of Aslan's footprints. And, and the story goes on until, you know, they follow Lucy, who can see Aslan, until they can see Aslan themselves. And what I've always took from that part, I mean, these stories are, are children's stories and they're not is that at the times when you can't see, the most important thing for you to do is to be around people who can. At the times when you can't hear, the most important thing for you to do is to be around people who can hear, to literally nourish your soul 
by listening to other bits of answered prayer and other affirmations of affection. And I know that sounds counterintuitive because it sounds like, well, if they're doing, if they're doing this, if God is doing this for other people, why doesn't he do it for me? And it, you can certainly take it that way if you choose to focus on what you lack. But what I found in those moments is that it has the absolutely opposite effect, that literally I'm sustained by the knowledge that this, this season of dryness, and I'm not talking about the disease itself, but, it, but the feelings of abandonment and bitterness and betrayal that we feel, the, the, those feelings can actually be managed in a community of people, some of whom will be seeing, some of whom will be in periods of dryness, but all striving together until Jesus becomes clear for you. Last thing I'd say is, at the end of the day, it always is going to be an issue of trust. I'm going to have to trust God. So you have the whole book of Job where you have this story of loss, 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 and, and you read the book expecting to find a why. God, why did this happen? You've got to tell me why it happened. And yet you read all through it, and there's never that, it's never, you never get the answer why. You just simply get God saying, I am not going to explain why, but you're going to have to be a person who trusts me and falls into my arms believing that I'm good and I'm loving and I know the end from the beginning. And that's a profound place. We have to be humble. We have to say, I don't know. I don't know everything. And since I don't know, God, all of what you're doing, I'm going to trust you in this. And that is that last part of that double-fisted faith of saying, God, if you don't, I'm going to believe that there's going to be good more good than just the good that's the character and the hope that's produced in my life, somehow you're going to bring out even a greater good. And I'm going to hold on to that, even if I can't see it, which I think is what you were talking about that C.S. Lewis captures in that beautiful kind of fictional story, that there is, there, God is leading us, and that's right. ultimately, someday we find out. But we hold on to that, believing and trusting in him. And it, one last thing, it is incredibly important that you do not believe the lie that somehow you did something to deserve this. Mm -hmm. And when my wife and I first uh, found out we were having a child who had Down syndrome, the passage that the Lord brought to mind in me and the Lord brought to mind in another friend simultaneously was in John 9, when um, the, the disciples ask about a man born blind. Who sinned? Because that was the thought. Who screwed up that this guy has an affliction like this? And Jesus says, neither. This happened, and the works of God will now be displayed in it. And that is the hardest part to actually believe, that in some ridiculous way that God can take something like this and use it to bring himself glory and use it in you to bring himself glory. And so we will we'll be happy to join you in praying for your healing. And we also just want to remind it, uh, you and everybody who listens uh, that there is a bigger story being painted and you have to be around people who continually point to it. There you go. So we've had a good morning. Blessings to you. You have a great day. Kenton has a summer haircut you really need to check out. I have no such luxury. Bye.